Chapter Ten of Love Insurance. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Love Insurance by Earl Dare Biggers. Chapter Ten: Two Birds of Passage. On the same busy night when the Lilith flashed her red signal and Miss Gabrielle Rose arrived with a package of letters that screamed for a cotrell, two strangers invaded San Marco by means of the 819 freight south. Frayed, fatigued, and famished as they were, it would hardly have been kind to study them as they strolled up San Sebastian Avenue towards the plaza. But had you been so unkind, you would never have guessed that frequently, in various corners of the little round globe, they had known prosperity, the weekly pay envelope, and the buyer's crook of the finger summoning a waiter. One of the strangers was short, with flaming red hair, and in his eye the twinkle without which the collected works of Bernard Shaw are as sounding brass. He twinkled about him as he walked, at the bright lights and spurious gaiety under the spell of which San Marco sought to forget the rates per day with Bath. The French, he mused, are a volatile people, fond of light wines and dancing. So, it would seem, are the inhabitants of San Marco. White flannels, Harry, white flannels. They should encase that leaning tower of pizza you call your manly form. The other, long, cadaverous, immersed in a gentle melancholy, groaned. Another tourist hothouse, packed with innocents abroad and everyone bleeding them but us. Everything here but a real home, with chintz table covers and a cold roast of beef in the ice chest. What are we doing here? We should have gone north. Ah, Harry, chide me no more, pleaded the little man. I was weak, I know, but all the freights seem to be coming south, and I have always longed for a winter amid the sunshine and flowers. Look at this fat old duffer coming. Alms, for the love of Allah! alms shut up growled the thin one save your breath till we stand hat in hand in the office of the local newspaper a job two jobs good lord there aren't two newspaper jobs in the entire south well we can only be kicked out into the night again and perhaps staked to a meal in the name of the guild in which we have served so long and liquidly some day said the short man dreamily when I am back in the haunts of civilization again, I am going to start something. A society for melting the stone hearts of editors. Motto, have a heart, have a heart. Emblem, a roast beef sandwich rampart on a cloth of linen. Ah, oh, well, the day will come. They halted in the plaza. On the round stone tub provided, the town alligator dozed. Above him hung a warning sign. Do not feed or otherwise annoy the alligator. The short man read and drew back with a tragic groan. Feed or otherwise annoy, he cried. Heavens, Harry, is that the way they look at it here? This is no place for us. We'd better be moving on to the next town. But the lean stranger gave no heed. Instead, he stepped over and entered into earnest converse with a citizen of San Marco. In a moment, he returned to his companion's side. One newspaper, he announced. The Evening Chronicle. Suppose the office is locked for the night. But come along, let's try. Feed or otherwise annoy, 
muttered the little man blankly. For the love of Allah, alms! They traversed several side streets, and came at last to the office of the Chronicle. It was a modest structure, verging on decay. One man sat alone in the dim interior, reading exchanges under an electric lamp. Good evening, said the short man genially. Are you the editor? Uh-huh, responded the Chronicle man without enthusiasm from under his green eyeshade. Glad to know you. We just dropped in, a couple of newspaper men you know. This is Mr. Harry Howe, until recently managing editor of the Mobile Press. My own name is Robert O'Neill, a humble editorial writer on the same sheet. Uh-huh. If you had jobs, for God's sakes, why did you leave them? Ah, you may well ask, the red-haired one dropped uninvited into a chair. Old man, it's a dramatic story. The chief of police of Mobile happened to be a crook and a grafter, and we happened to mention it in the press. Night before last, twenty-five armed cops invaded the peace and sanctity of our sanctum. Harry and I, pure accident, landed in the same general heap at the foot of the fire escape out back. And here we are. Here we are. My newspaper instinct, said the Chronicle man, had already enabled me to gather that last. Sarcasm. It was a bad sign. But blithely Bob O'Neill continued. Here we are, he said, two experienced newspaper men, down and out. We thought there might possibly be a vacancy or two on the staff of your paper. The editor threw off his eyeshade, revealing a cynical face. Boys, he said, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I've been running this alleged newspaper for two long, dreary years, and this laugh you've just handed me is the first I've had during that time. Vacancies? There is one, a big one. See my pocket for particulars. Two years, boys, and all the time hoping, praying, that some day I'd make two dollars and sixty cents, which is the railroad fare to the next town. Howe and O'Neill listened with faces that steadily grew more sorrowful. I'd like to stake you to a meal, the editor went on, but a man's first duty is to his family. Any burglar will tell you that. I suppose, ventured O'Neill, most of the flash gone from his manner, there is no other newspaper here? No, there isn't. There is a weird thing here called the San Marco Mail, a morning outrage. It's making money, but by different methods than I'd care to use. You might try there. You look unlucky. Perhaps they'll take you on. He rose from his chair and gave them directions for reaching the mail office. Good night, boys, he said. Thank you for calling. You're the first newspaper men I've seen in two years, except when I've looked in the glass. And the other day I broke my looking glass. Good night, and bad luck go with you to the extent of the jobs on the mail. Cynic, breathed O'Neill in the street. A bitter tongue maketh a sour face. I liked him not. A morning outrage called the mail? Sounds promising, like smallpox in the next county. We shall see, said Howe, that which meets our vision. Forward, march. The alligator and I, muttered O'Neill, famished, perishing. For the love of Allah, as I remarked before, alms. In the dark second-floor hallway, where the mail office was suspected of being, they groped about determinedly. No sign of any nature proclaimed San Marco's only morning paper. A solitary light, shining through a transom, beckoned. Boldly O'Neill pushed open the door. 
to the knowing nostrils of the two birds of passage was wafted the odor they loved the unique inky odor of a newspaper shop their eyes beheld a rather bare room a typewriter or two a desk in the centre of the room was a small table under an electric lamp on this table was a bottle and glasses and at it two silent men played poker one of the men was burly and bearded the other was slight pale nervous from an inner room came the click of linotypes lonesome linotypes that seemed to have strayed far from their native haunts the two men finished playing the hand and looked up good evening said o'neill with a smile that had drawn news as a magnet draws steel in many odd corners gentlemen four newspaper men meet in a strange land i perceive you have on the table a greeting unquestionably suitable the bearded man laughed rose and discovered two extra glasses on a nearby shelf draw up he said heartily the place is yours you're as welcome as a payday thanks o'neill reached for a glass let me introduce ourselves and he mentioned his own name and howe's call me mears said the bearded one i'm managing editor of the mail and this is my city editor mr elliot delighted breathed o'neill a pleasant little haven you have found here and your staff i don't see the members of your staff running in and out mr o'neill said mears impressively you have drunk with the staff of the mail you too o'neill's face shone with joy glory be do you hear that harry these gentlemen all alone on the premises he leaned over and poured out eloquently the story of the tragic flight from mobile i call this luck he finished here we are broke eager for work and we find you minus a o'neill stopped for he had seen a sickly smile of derision float across the face of the weary city editor and he saw the bearded man shaking his great head violently nothing doing said the bearded man firmly sorry to dash your hopes always ready to pour another drink but there are no vacancies here no sir two of us are plenty and running over eh bill plenty and running over agreed the city editor warmly into their boots tumbled the hearts of the two strangers in a strange land gloom and hunger engulfed them but the managing editor of the mail was continuing and what was this he was saying no boys we don't need a staff have just as much use for a manicure set but you come along at an opportune time wonderlust it tickles the soles of four feet tonight and those four feet are editorial feet on the mail something tells us that we are going away from here boys how would you like our jobs he stared placidly at the two strangers o'neill put one hand to his head see me safely to my park bench harry he said it was that drink on an empty stomach i'm all in a daze i hear strange things i hear them too said howe see here he turned to mears are you offering to resign in our favor the minute you say the word both of you believe me said the city editor you can't say the word too soon well said howe i don't know what's the matter with the place but you can consider the deal closed spoken like a sport the bearded man stood up you can draw lots to determine who is to be managing editor and who city editor it's an excellent scheme i attained my proud position that way one condition i attach ask no questions let us go out into the night unburdened with your interrogation points elliot too stood the bearded man indicated the bottle fill up boys 
I propose a toast to the new editors of the mail. May heaven bless them and bring them safely back to the north when Florida's fitful fever is past. Dizzily, uncertainly, Howe and O'Neill drank. Mr. Mears reached out a great red hand towards the bottle. Pardon me, private property, he said. He pocketed it. We bid you good-bye and good luck. Think of us on the choo-choo, please. Riding far, riding far. But, see here, cried O'Neill. But me no buts, said Mears again. Nary a question, I beg of you. Take our jobs, and if you think of us at all, think of gleaming rails and a speeding train. Once more, good-bye. The door slammed. O'Neill looked at Howe. Fairies, he muttered, or the DTs. What is this, a comic opera or a town? You are managing editor, Harry. I shall be city editor. Is there a city to edit? No matter. No, said Howe. He reached for the greasy pack of cards. We draw for it. Come on. High winds. Jack, announced Mr. O'Neill. Deuce, smiled Howe. What are your orders, sir? O'Neill passed one hand before his eyes. A steak, he muttered. Well done. Mushroom sauce. French fried potatoes. I've always dreamed of running a paper some day. Hurry up with that steak. Forget your stomach, said Howell. If a subordinate may make a suggestion, we must get out a newspaper. Ah, whom have we here? A stocky red-faced man appeared from the inner room and stood regarding them. Where's Mears and Elliot? he demanded. On a train, riding far, said O'Neill. I'm the new managing editor. What can I do for you? You can give me four columns of copy for the last page of tomorrow's mail, said the stocky man calmly. I'm foreman of something in there we call a composing room. Glad to meet you. Four columns, mused O'Neill. Four columns of what? The foreman pointed at a row of battered books on a shelf. It's been the custom, he said, to fill up with stuff out of that encyclopedia there. Thanks, O'Neill answered. He took down a book. We'll fix you up in ten minutes. Mr. Howe, will you please do me two columns on, er, oligotani, murder, mush mushrooms, that's it, on mushrooms, the life story of the humble little mushroom. I, myself, will dash off a column or two on the climate of Algeria. The foreman withdrew, and Howe and O'Neill stood looking at each other. Once, said O'Neill, I ran an editorial page in Boston, where you can always fill space by printing letters from citizens who wish to rewrite Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and do it right. But I never struck anything like this before. Me either, said Howe. Mushrooms, did you say? They sat down before typewriters. One thing worries me, remarked O'Neill. If we'd asked the president of the First National Bank for jobs, do you suppose we'd be in charge there now? Right, man, right said Howe. The clatter of their fingers on the keys filled the room. They looked up suddenly ten minutes later to find a man standing between them. He was a little man, clad all in white, suit, shoes, stockings. His sly old face was a lemon yellow, and his eyes suggested lights flaming in the dark woods at night. "'Beg pardon,' said the little man. "'Ah, and what can we do for you?' inquired O'Neill. "'Nothing. Mr. Mears, Mr. Elliot?' Gone, vamoosed. You are now speaking to the managing editor of the mail. Ah, indeed. We are very busy. If you just tell us what you want. I merely dropped in. I am Manuel Gonzalez, owner of the mail. Good Lord, cried O'Neill. Do not be disturbed. 
I take it you gentlemen have replaced Mears and Elliot. I am glad. Let them go. You look like right young men to me. Quite right enough. I employ you. Thanks, stammered the managing editor. Don't mention it. Here is Madame Ondit's column for tomorrow. It runs on the first page. As for the rest of the paper, suit yourselves. O'Neill took the copy and glanced through it. Are there no libel laws down here? he asked. The material in that column, said the little man, his eyes narrowing, concerns only me. You must understand that at once. The madame writes hot stuff, ventured O'Neill. I am the madame, said the owner of the mail with dignity. He removed the copy from O'Neill's hand and glided with it into the other room. Scarcely had he disappeared when the door was opened furiously and a panting man stood inside. Mr. Henry Trimmer's keen eye surveyed the scene. Where's Mears? Elliot? he cried. You're not the cashier, are you? asked O'Neill with interest. Don't try to be funny, roared Trimmer. I'm looking for the editor of this paper. Your search is ended, O'Neill replied. What is it? You mean you? Say, I've got a front-page story for tomorrow's issue that will upset the town. Come to my arms, cried O'Neill. What is it? The real Lord Harrowby has been kidnapped. O'Neill stared at him sorrowfully. Have you been reading the Duchess again? he asked. Who the hell is Lord Harrowby? Do you mean to say you don't know? Where have you been buried alive? Out of the inner room glided Manuel Gonzala, and, recognizing him, Mr. Trimmer poured into his ear the story of George's disappearance. Mr. Gonzala rubbed his hands. A good story, he said, a very good story. Thank you, a thousand times. I myself will write it. With a scornful glance at the two strangers, Mr. Trimmer went out, and Manuel Gonzala sat down at his desk. O'Neill and Howe returned to their encyclopedic dispatches. There you are, said Gonzala at last standing. Put an eight-column head on that, please, and run it on the front page. A very fine story. The paper must go to press. He looked at a diamond-studded watch. In an hour. Only four pages. Please see to the make-up. My circulation manager will assist you with the distribution. At the door he paused. It occurs to me that your exchequer may be low. Seventy-five dollars a week for the managing editor, fifty for the city editor. Allow me ten dollars each in advance. If you need more, pray remind me. Into their hands he put crinkling bills, and then, gliding still like the fox he looked, he went out into the night. Sisters, cried O'Neill weakly, the fairies are abroad tonight. I hear the rustle of their feet over the grass. Fairies, sneered Howe. I could find another and a harsher name for them. Don't, pleaded O'Neill. Don't look a gift bill in the treasury number. Don't try to penetrate behind the beyond. Say nothing, and let us eat. How are you coming with that mushroom cereal? An hour later, they sent the paper to press, and sought the grill room of the Hotel Alameda. As they came happily away from that pleasant spot, O'Neill spied a fruit stand. He stopped and made a few purchases. Now, said Howell, let us go over and meet the circulation manager. Here, where are you going, Bob? Just a minute, O'Neill shouted back. Come along, Harry. I'm going over to the plaza. I'm going to feed that alligator. End of chapter 10. Recording by Todd.